Welcome to the Queen's School Chester podcast, the place where we talk to staff, parents and pupils about topics that are relevant to you. In this episode, we're talking about SEN, special educational needs, with John Ross, the school's SEN coordinator, or SENCO. You're about to hear why it's important for parents with children who don't present any special needs to listen to this episode, the different ways that special needs can present themselves, and what a parent could do if they have any questions or concerns about their own children. This is a great episode, and you'll love the way that John speaks about this subject with such commitment, dedication, and passion. So let's get into it right now. SEN with John Ross. John, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the school's podcast. How are you doing today? I'm really good, actually. End of a very busy week here at Queen's. So um, Friday lunchtime, there's lots being on in school um, all week. Lots of actually different bits and pieces happening. We've got the Navy in working with year 10. Um, so I've been catching up with them. Um, six formers are off on a trip to Conway. So yeah, stand, standard week, I think. Just lots and lots <laughs> going on. I love it. Standard week is lots going on. That's, that's kind of business yeah. as usual in school <laughs> environments. Excellent. 100%. So, John, we're going to be talking today about various things, but in particular, special educational needs uh, in schools. Um, But I wonder, first of all, if you could just give us a little bit of your own background. So where you went to school, where you were brought up in the world, and also what your own experience of school life was like for yourself. Um, So my early days of schooling um, were up in Penrith, near the Lake District. So quite a small town, a average size primary school um i i felt very lucky at the time um in that um infants and juniors were on a, the same site slightly different schools but that that kind of move for me was a very gentle one and then um penrith is typical small town in the sense there are kind of four primary schools two secondary schools mm-hmm. everyone goes to one of those primary schools and then one of the two secondary schools so again i went up from primary to secondary with all of you know the vast majority of my friends and um sixth form was actually in my school as well i went to a um a grammar school in penrith so um quite old fashioned in many ways in terms of the way they did things in fact there's quite a few elements of of queens when i'm walking around that remind me of my of some of my um my secondary education days. From Penrith, um, I went out into the big wide world and studied down in Sheffield. And then from that point, moved down to Bath to start um, exploring teaching and then did my PGCE up in Manchester. And I've been up in the in the kind of Manchester, Chester area ever since. Wow. OK, so 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 Sheffield and then down to Bath, I think you said, and then, yes. and then back, back up north again. Yes, so what was it about Bath that took you there then? So um, it was actually subject specialism. So I did a, a degree in geography, but I had a real passion for food. Okay. And um, a, lot of my, a lot of my teaching career has been teaching food. And it's something that actually at the time was quite difficult to get into. So one of the very few courses I could do was at Bath Spa University. 
Um, so lived in lived in Bristol and and went over to Bath. Once I'd done that element of the course, I decided it was a bit too far from home, and I would mm. I would get myself back back up to fam- some <laughs> more familiar ground. Okay, well, like you, I also have a passion for food, but possibly in a slightly different context. As as we get towards the weekend, I'm thinking more and more about that. But perhaps we should get back to the episode content. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up then at at the school where you are now. So um, I was fortunate in that right from the beginning of my teaching career, I ended up being involved in working with um, pupils with special educational needs. So as well as working in a in a mainstream state secondary school, I actually was seconded to a special school and mm-hmm. worked there a couple of days a week. And that kind of threw me into the arena of um, special needs very, very early on. Hmm. I moved around a little bit and then ended up getting um, the role as a as a SENCO, so mm-hmm. a special educational needs coordinator mm-hmm. um, in a in a secondary school over in Manchester. Um, did that for six years and then have just recently taken on that same role here at Queen's. So I'm, I'm what is described, I think, as a lifelong learner. So I've fairly recently completed a specialist dyslexia teaching mm-hmm. qualification okay right and um queens is gonna um will give me that opportunity to to use that qualification mm. kind of directly with some of the 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 pupils so i'm responsible for all of the pupils right through the school so we have some specialists across the you know across this across the whole school mm-hmm. but i actually am involved right through from lower school right up to sixth form so it's going to really broaden my my experience um, mm. in working with young people. OK, so I've got a quick question here coming from the point of view of parents. Let's imagine that I'm a parent and I'm listening to this episode recording of the podcast right now. And actually, none of my children have any kind of special educational needs. Should I switch off and listen to another podcast episode? What, why is it important that I carry on listening to this? I think my response to that would be the same as the response I would give to a teacher in some ways, um, because often best practice for young people with special education needs is actually going to benefit everybody. I think that's one really important thing. And there might be some approaches, there might be some tips that I share today, that even if there are no signs, signals of a need, whether no diagnosis, etc., actually, there might be something that, that a parent thinks, oh, do you know what, I might try that with my child. I think equally, it's massively important that we normalise special educational needs. And actually talking about it mm-hmm. is really, really important. I think parents being able that I can almost guarantee that um, a parent will have a child who is in a class with other young people with special educational needs. And if parents can, can talk with a bit more confidence to their children about that, that's mm. really, really helpful. Um, I was talking to some colleagues in the lowest school earlier this week and discussing the idea of teaching the girls about special educational needs so that actually they understand what autism is, for example, so that mm. actually, if in life they come across somebody who is autistic, actually, they understand a little bit more about it. And I, 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 I feel that the more we can learn about it generally can, can help everyone. So I'm guessing then on that basis, you're probably of the thought process that it's best that any child with special educational needs doesn't go to a school to just look after special educational needs children, but that they are very much embraced as part of the school community in everyday life in all schools. 
absolutely. I think um, the proviso is that they're attending a school that can meet those needs. Mm -hmm. Um, I've worked with young people with almost every type of need you can think of. And for some individuals, a specialist setting actually is going to be the best place for them. If, you know, they've got a really high level of need, Mm. um, that can be really, really beneficial for that young person and that can be the right place for the majority of people with special educational needs those needs can be met in a mainstream setting so whether that be a school like queen's whether that be a a large um kind of comprehensive secondary school needs can be met whilst also learning with lots of different people Mm. and i think the important thing is that when it comes to special educational needs that they're attending somewhere that that the needs can be met in the vast majority of cases uh, you know in in the um, instance of here at Queen's Mm. we can meet the vast majority of needs here and I would never advocate that a special school would be the best place for them. So really it's putting the child at the centre of that decision making process as opposed to a blanket approach for all children. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when we talk about special educational needs, we can we can end up um, focusing a lot on the label. The label can help. It can really help with self-identity um, and understanding yourself. Um, but actually, it does come down to the individual very much mm-hmm. and what is going to work and benefit that individual. And things have to be taken on a on a you know a case by case basis it's it's unlikely that one size is going to to fit all because at the mm. end of the day we're talking about individuals they are they are at the center of it okay so that's all coming at it from a school point of view tell me a little bit about parents then i mean what can what can a parent do if they have a child who has special educational needs that is a really interesting question um actually i think one of the one of the things a parent really needs to recognize is that they are the the champion for for their child i use the the phrase the voice of the child however um that comes with quite an important caveat because i've sometimes found that it's the voice of the parent that comes through mm. a lot mm. rather than the voice of the child mm. um particularly with younger children parents are absolutely crucial in getting the voice of the child through um, and helping them them flourish so I think that's a really important role that parents have is kind of helping helping to be the champion for that child and make sure that things are put in place Mm -hmm. um, for them if we look at the really early stages of development because whenever we we learn about special educational needs and we look at the skills that they develop in most instances, actually, a child is developing those skills from the moment they're born. So if we talk about language development, actually, there's loads of language development that happens in the first um, six to 18 months, long Gosh. before most children will come anywhere near a teacher. Mm. Um, and, so, and so actually, parents do have a role as a teacher at home. And I think actually that can be really scary for parents, particularly when they don't feel confident in being able to meet those needs. Mm. You know, the same can be be, be true of a teacher in some some instances. I think so. Actually, um, when it comes to say teaching social skills to a child, the parent will need to be teaching those social skills at home 
as well as them being taught in school. Um, if somebody needs some help with their reading, then actually the parent has got a really important role to play in mm. helping to support teaching those reading skills at home. And I think one of the, from a school's perspective, one of the most valuable things that a parent can do is share information. We talk very much um, about the child being at the centre of our planning in mm -hmm. terms of meeting needs, but actually they're at the centre and around them is a, is a team of people. And in most instances, that team will will be parents or carers alongside teachers and other school staff. Um, it may involve other specialists um, as well, um, but actually, that that kind of sharing of information and 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 bringing it all together can be can be a really important mm. um, role for parents to play. Now, obviously, with special educational needs, there are different levels of severity of it. But in what different ways can it present itself? What what are some of the uh, con conditions? I don't know whether that's the right word or not. Um, that that we hear about with children. Uh, that we might recognise from from other people that we know? The spectrum is massive. Um, so when we talk about special educational needs and disabilities, um, there are actually four broad categories, and it's probably easiest if I just kind of mention briefly in terms of those the four categories. So we have cognition and learning, which is what people generally think. That's the traditional view of what a special educational need is. Um, and that relates to anything specifically around learning. Um, so dyslexia would be an example, dyscalculia, another example, processing, etc. Um, anything around how, um, how a young person learns. So you've got cognition and learning. You've got physical and sensory needs. Um, they tend to be, in some ways, the easiest to identify. So visual impairments, hearing impairments tend to be picked up very early on. Developmental checks and things in young babies, um, which are just standard, will often mm. pick those kind of things up. That does also um, cover physical disabilities, um, which again is something that a child may be born with or maybe something that develops later in life. Mm -hmm. The third area is um, communication and interaction um, so that includes things like speech and language communication needs, um, it includes autism, and so that will um, present itself potentially um, things like friendship issues and, mm. and that type of thing. Perhaps tied in with that, uh, there's a lot of crossover between the four areas. So um, we talk about kind of sensory processing difficulties, actually something that's really common in people with a speech, language and communication need, but actually... Um, is is it you know a, sen a sensory need as well, and then the fourth area, which is the the newest area of 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 SEN, is something called social and emotional mental health. So that covers a wide variety of different needs, um, anxiety disorders, for example, depression, um, lower level special needs in that area are covered as well. So there's you know there's a, a really broad spectrum of things there are obvious things that parents can look out for in all areas i think it's difficult because every young person will progress at their own rate hmm. and hmm. one of the the warning signs often is that a child isn't progressing at the same rate as their peers and mm -hmm. that's something that teachers will look out for it's something that parents will look out for i think the danger is that 
that you can focus too much on that element. Sometimes mm. we talk about learning differences rather than learning difficulties. Mm. Um, the idea mm. that actually each child has their own journey to go through mm. um, and will learn different skills um, in, in different ways. And, um, and it may well be that just because it takes a child a little bit longer to learn how to make friendships, for example, mm. doesn't mm. mean that actually they're not going to do so. It's just, it's just going to take them a little bit longer. Now, the fourth of those different classifications, I think you said it was social and emotional. This seems to me to be something that we're hearing more and more about in the media. Is that because there's an increasing awareness of it? Or is it because it's a problem that's getting worse through maybe things like social media? I think um, there's definitely an increase in awareness. From a special needs perspective, actually, it's a difference in understanding so that category has always been there. Mm -hmm. It used to be classed as something called behaviour, emotional, social difficulties. Okay. So a child that couldn't cope in a mainstream school mm -hmm. that was displaying really challenging behaviours may find themselves being placed in a special school for behavior emotional social difficulties that mm -hmm. does not exist anymore it's right. been reclassified as social emotional and mental health right. because actually we know now that actually the problem what we're trying to tackle is not the behavior what mm -hmm. we're trying to tackle is the reason for that behavior being displayed mm. um, and so mental health will contribute to that a lack of social skills will contribute to that. A lack of emotional regulation skills will contribute to that um, as well. Yes, things like social media will, will contribute. I would argue that the problems have always been there. It's just that people are talking about them. And surely it's a good thing, though, that people are talking about them more and more. Oh, 100%, because I've always advocated in terms of special needs that we need to be talking about it. It's something, if you know, if we can destigmatize um, needs and we can understand them better, then actually it makes, it makes people feel more comfortable in themselves. Okay, I wonder whether you can help then. If, if I was a parent and had a child who wasn't displaying any obvious signs of any kind of um, SEN need, but possibly there's something about the way that they are that was just filling me with a little bit of concern what sort of steps should I take to address this especially I'm thinking that some children tend not to be uh, very good at communicating how they're feeling in the first place and that may be accentuated by by this situation here so if I was a parent and slightly concerned about this what what approach should I take Lots of parents are tempted to do lots and lots of research. And whilst that can be helpful in a way, I think if you can educate yourself a little bit, that's great. Um, I think you've got to be careful, though, because all too many times um, I've had a meeting with a parent who's gone on a website and found a list of things and, and said, do you know what, this is, this is my child and this is the problem and what are we going, what are we going to do about it? And actually, it might just be that there's a little bit of a delay in things. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with flagging things, but I guess try not to panic is, is, my, is the, the best piece of advice. Um, I think talk to other people. If we were to get go have to go down the route of a formal assessment for a, a child, for example, usually we would need to gather evidence from different 
areas. So if you if you're making a, a formal referral to get a child assessed for autism, then as part of the package of paperwork you're sending off, there will be questionnaires and information from home. There will mm. be the same from school. Um, if you've had external professionals like a speech and language therapist or a specialist teacher involved, um, all of that information comes together because it's that rounded view of a child that is going to give you the best understanding of them. So I think if, if I were a parent, um, and I was worried, I would have that informal chat with school or nursery to to find out how they're displaying themselves um, in a different setting or a different environment. Um, trying not to panic is a really important one, but you can also be gathering information and evidence so that actually if further down the line you are in a position where you're needing to explore some formal assessment, you've been doing a lot of the thinking around that. Yeah, that's really good to hear. And, and I think try not to panic is probably sound advice for many situations in life, not just in that situation. Absolutely. John, we need to bring this to a close in a minute. But for anyone who's heard anything and might want to get in touch with the school, what's the best way for them to do that? On our website, you've got all the contact details. So you, you could give us a call or email admissions at thequeenschool.co.uk. Um, if parents um, are wanting some more advice specifically on special educational needs then if they just make reference to that in the in the um, initial contact um, then um, they're more than welcome to get in touch awesome well look john thank you for your time thank you for being here today helping us all to normalize um, uh, this discussion and uh, thank you for, for for sharing all of your information with us here today thank you thanks very much bye-bye so that was John Ross talking SEN for children here in 2021. Thank you, John, for coming on to this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate your time here for this. As he says, if you have any questions or would just like to speak to someone at the school, then do get in touch through the website or email admissions at thequeenschool.co.uk. Now, our next episode of this podcast is coming out soon. So if you haven't followed this channel yet, then now's the time to do so, because then when the next episode comes out, you get a small notification just to let you know that it's there. So go and do that. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye for now.